My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our guest today is Kevin Empey. Kevin is Managing Director of Work Matters and has specialized in organizational development, HR strategy and leadership development for over 25 years. The main focus of his work in recent years has been around the practical implications of the future of work and helping organizations prepare for the changing world of work and workplace. Before establishing Work Matters, He'd led several startup organizations and was a partner and head of the HR consulting practice for Willis Towers Watson for 15 years. Kevin is a program director of the senior executive program in the IMI and has served on TLAC for six years. He's also a member of the business and community, worker of the future task force. He's a, he was a member of the Labour Market Council during the last financial crisis. He founded Worklink, an internationally recognized coaching and mentoring organization to set up uh, and help unemployed job seekers in Ireland. And also, he has won several national and international awards for his work in the areas of social entrepreneurship and future of work research. Kevin, you're very welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thanks very much. Well, pleasure to be with you. Congratulations on the uh, podcast, too. Uh, yeah, it's going really, really well and uh, really happy for you. Um, yeah, thanks for that. suits me too. You know, my family say I've got a great face for radio, so, uh, <laughs> so it worked for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised how, how popular it has been, so I've, I'm, I feel very blessed. Uh, thank you for that. And, you know, COVID has presented this opportunity for the podcast to emerge and also I suppose our relationship has uh, emerged quite a bit. We we started uh, talking to each other a, a lot more um, since since last March when COVID uh, hit, and um, we also we never had time to really sit down. We're very curious in how each other worked and what our passions were about. So, what got you into this whole notion of the the future of the workplace? Because you were really ahead of the the curve there. Nobody's really talking about this um, as such before before COVID. Well, I guess that, that was one of the things about it. I found, you know, that maybe there was a, exactly that. There was a lot of talk about it, but it as a as a concept or as a reality, it hadn't really maybe landed, you know, with people. And we, we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, in the sense of the practical implications of future of work. It was like, there's no actual even definition of it. It's just a, a, this label of convenience that we sort of put on things like robotics and, you know, technology and all this, you know, exponential rise in enabling technology, uh, the changing workplace, five generations at work, 
you know, globalization, all these kind of forces were, were sort of at play, uh, are loosely labeled under this future of work theme. But actually, what is it in reality, you know, for you and I, like, you know, a day-to-day level, maybe some of that practical implications of future work hadn't landed unless you had been at the sharp end of automation uh, or you've gone through a big digital transformation or something where you've seen jeepers yeah look that is actually now you know my job is completely either gone or it's been disrupted or changed so unless you were at the sharp end of some of that stuff um business was going on as normal and well normal normal busyness you know just people looking at today and this week and this quarter and this year you know so so that whole future of work topic was 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 just that it was a topic and 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 the practical implications of it was something that i was getting more and more interested as you could see more and more implications of it uh, yeah. landing landing for for people and uh, so that's what sort of got me into it you know probably about 10 years or so ago but you're dead right covid as has been said so many times has kind of accelerated yeah. a lot of those underlying trends that were going on such as remote working and working yeah. from home and work anytime, any place, whatever, you know, that type of idea. Yeah, like the, the, the analogy I like to put on it, like the embers were there and then COVID yeah. was like an accelerant. It was like yeah. pouring petrol on the fire to say, okay, we're here, let's talk about it. It's blown yeah. up on our faces. Yeah. There's no way of avoiding it. And I remember having a conversation with someone about the future of the workplace and where my passions come from is, is people development. But originally I studied electronics in college. So I would keep an eye out on the latest technology and the latest developments. And I started talking about how the classroom was actually going to be a thing of the past. You know, you have Oculus lens coming in and this augmented reality and virtual reality. Mm. And would we really need a classroom? And I remember uh, the person in hand that I was talking to just ridiculed me completely and I remember when COVID hit I remembered that instant kind of going well it doesn't seem so ridiculous now you know and I do think there needs to be a certain amount of that paradigm shift we need to change our mindset in terms of what the future of work looks like but before we go into that where does your curiosity come from because I know you did a lot in the past in terms of Mm you know, your community work, setting that social entrepreneurship, setting up the, the non-profit. Where does, where does your passion and curiosity come from? Uh, it's a good, good question, I guess. You know, why, why do we all do what we do? <laughs> and, and how on earth have we ended up where we are? You know, it's, just, it's a very interesting question. And I suppose a bit like you, um, I, think, I think it kind of boils down to a natural curiosity, to use your word, around uh, human potential. You know, yeah. uh, I've always been interested in that. And um, although it took a while to sort of come out, but whether like, you know, you're coaching the under eights, as I've done or tried to do, you know, in the hockey world, or whether you're leading a team at work, uh, as I've done, or, or whether you're trying to figure out why Liverpool won their championship after 30 years, finally, yeah. uh, 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 which I know you love that topic when we bring that one up. Um, but that, that sort of interest about well, why, why, what's going on there, you know, from a human perspective, why do, why do some teams seem to thrive and some others, why do some individuals uh, really thrive and others don't what, what what makes a great leader you know what's what you know what 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 makes somebody really effective in doing 
exactly the same job as somebody who isn't, you know, going as isn't as, as, as effective. So I've just been interested in the whole area of human potential and the limitless boundaries around that, right? Mm. Um, but yet, the, but, and then how that pops up, I suppose, in terms of my day job has been, well, how does that human potential uh, area then manifest itself in the world of work? Because obviously yeah. there's, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff we do outside work, uh, but yeah. we do spend a lot of time in work, right? And if we're not in work, we're probably talking about it or giving yeah. out about it or, or, or planning it or thinking about it in our waking hours. So I suppose that, that idea of human potential and it at work has been as a, as, has been as a system quite interesting to me. And I, I guess like you, I share the background in science, actually. Originally, I went into technology and I was only probably later in my sort of mid to late 20s, I started to kind of really penny started to drop that actually it was this the human side of of, of work was, so, was something I would get into a little bit more yeah and I I, I was very similar in my 20s uh as well I started I remember hearing the, the word empowerment first and that word really landed with me and I I think it meant such a difference to the way that I worked that I didn't feel empowered at the time mm. and then mm. once I asked for that my manager says oh yeah, I've been waiting for this, you know, and it's it's a bit like sometimes you don't have the language for your own potential. So I think, I think that's why we're passionate about what we do because we can see the difference that we can make in people's lives, you know, and for me, more curiosity and for the future really stems in terms of my own development. And I, you know, I, I like to, to live, you know, my own values in terms of that mm. constant uh, learning and it's funny I never framed it as the future of work I always worked it for you know that how do I survive is how do I future-proof mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. and it's funny like when I look at the skills um, there that are required for the future you know it's funny a lot of the things I've uh, and courses and a lot of the education that I've navigated towards or felt inclined to do have all popped up with the future mm-hmm. work skills, you know, in terms of virtual collaboration or cross-cultural communication, you know, that design thinking. So, uh, and I'm doing it from an organizational design thinking, there's loads of different ways. So for me, I I kind of, I I didn't realize what I was doing, but I think it's that something to do with that, you know, that misquoted term from um, Darwin is the strongest of the species are the one that that are, you know, are most adaptable to their environment, isn't it? Just to mm. paraphrase that, and by the way, I know it's misquoted. <laughs> but I think that's for another podcast. Uh, what are your forgiven. thoughts on that? You're forgiven. Well, over a couple of things on that, by the way, and I, and I totally think you're right about that. And, and that's a transition, if you like, that you'd mentioned from an interest in technology and everything else and into maybe the human side. I also look back at that time too, uh, and really grateful to, to people who took a chance because you're quite vulnerable when you're trying to kind of maybe pivot into new territory, yeah. you know? Um, and, and it's incredible that, you know, it's people around you, you have to be yourself, uh, quite committed and clear about what it is you want to. But if you're not, yeah. and you're, you're typically, sometimes we're not, and thinking, oh, maybe I'm, I'm not on the right track here at all. But it's people around you, whether they're leaders or influencers and mentors. I remember it was people like Niall Saul, for instance, you know, or Eamon Dre or Vicky Wright, Claire Moydine. I can, I can think back to these folks who, who gave you that sense of empowerment or permission to try yeah. or trust, trusted you to have a go at something or to express 
what you were thinking in in your work, etc. And I think that's one of the things that's quite important is that we we look for those folks who who can give us that sense of empowerment or confidence to try different to try different things. Um, but I totally. It, you're totally right about this thing about future of work and you know what what is it and what's the great mystery because we've been adapting forever to quote your good friend Charles you know we have been adapting and people kind of say well like, what's different you know what's diff- what's so different about now is this just a a, a kind of a, a bit of a hype you know around uh just because it's this flavor of the day sure haven't we always adapted and always changed and it's so true we have um and it's been those kind of skills that you talked about, you know, curiosity and 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 collaboration. And uh, we can talk a little bit about those skills, particularly uh, a bit later on. Um, but but what I what I've kind of noticed, I suppose, from being a student, if you like, of work over the last uh, twenty years, is the is the pace will that things are seeming yeah. to be picked up. The last 10, 15, the pace. Uh, combined with the complexity, if you like, or the, the number of moving parts that are now at play, you know, enabled by technology, that um, we're being probably forced to adapt as humans. You know, we're being forced to probably adapt uh, and change and pivot, etc., cetera, uh, faster than we, we've ever had before. And maybe more natural than what, than what we're wired for as humans. You know, you mentioned mindset. Mindset is a tough thing to turn around, you know, yeah. uh, uh, just like a light switch or something. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. So, so I guess that's one of the differences I see is, is, is that some of these skills there for, they need to be more front of mind or you may, we need to be more deliberate about them than maybe we have been before. Whereas we were able to just, adapt on the go, as it were. Uh, we actually need to be more mindful and, and uh, aware of actually the changes that are happening so fast because they are happening so fast. Yeah, and there's a couple of things that you're reminding me there of. And, uh, you know, that the pace of, of change. There's a wonderful book called The Victorian Internet, all right. And it was about how the world changed from delivering letters to telegrams to when the telephone came in and the huge disruption that that caused. And within financial markets, then, you know, one time, you know, the messages come across on the boat from the UK to America and the stock market then would would fluctuate differently. But if you had, you know, suddenly a message coming quicker, then obviously that information then was very powerful then in terms of stock markets. Yeah. And for me, then there's, there's, there's this, all this disruption going on, but there's real challenges then being presented in terms of our cognitive load. And mm-hmm. why I'm passionate about this, and I've spoken to this privately to you about, is, is that overwhelm that I had around mm-hmm. two years ago that there was all these demands placed on me and was my ability to cope at the time and I think for me, it's a little bit about boundaries. It's a little bit about clarity of expectations, you know, but I do think there's a bit about, you know, adapting and habit forming once you have those things in place. And I do think as part of future of work, we do need to have some sort of habit forming or wellness structures in place to allow people to thrive or allow people to to flourish, you know, yeah. and I think at the moment is there's, there's a sense of loss for the old workplace where we could run over to someone's desk and have a bit of social connection as well as getting the information and getting the task done. 
And it's about how do we replace that then in a virtual world? Because we're going to be going into a, a virtual, we'll have a virtual world for a long time now because, you know, anybody in their right mind, would they go back to a nine to five in the office? Because I remember meeting a friend yesterday and he turned around to me and said, this is the best I've ever been in terms of being a father, in terms of being a worker. Mm -hmm. So I think hybrid is here to stay. But I do think then there's gaps then because then we're talking about people who are isolated or struggling yep. in terms of that working from home piece. Yeah. No, I mean, there's there's so much in that. And I love what you meant about the Telegraph thing. And it's so interesting when you look at the sort of uh, the waves, the change of work and the way work has changed over the over the centuries has been triggered by these kind of changes and in, in inflections in technology right so we're, yeah. we're told we're in the fourth industrial revolution now but of course the others were also triggered by uh changes in technology whether it be the steam engine or whatever it might be the computer like you know the compass engine you know so there's been there's been very like uh, this stuff goes back way back uh, the lovely story about queen elizabeth refusing uh the patent uh for an inventor who came up with uh, an automatic uh, uh knitting machine so we're going back a while. And she refused the patent because it would it would take the work away from people who needed that sustenance, that that basic wage to kind of keep them alive. So so this debate about technology and and, and its impact on our lives has been going on on forever. Um but I totally buy into what you're saying, that we are looking at a blended world. One, one of the things I suppose I'd be very hopeful about is that as we sort of shape the post-COVID world, we're, we're going to be shaping, hopefully, an environment which is, doesn't have the cloud of uh, a pandemic over us, right? So yeah. at the moment, we probably don't have that choice about what we do in the office and what we do at home. Uh, it's kind of like it's pretty much at home now. Obviously, that's for a certain segment of the workforce. Sometimes yeah. we, need to, we need to remember there's a hell of a lot more going on in, in society and in, indeed in, within work that uh, doesn't have that luxury to be uh, um, you know, tucked away at home, if you like, or working from home. Mm -hmm. um, so... So there's there's a whole kind of diversity there, um, but assuming if we're if we're talking about sort of office based and kind of knowledge work type areas, you're, we're going to have I suppose a, a point in time where we have choice as to what we do, you know, st structurally what we do in the workplace, what we do remotely, etc. We might be able to get that balance better than it is now. Like it's not probably yeah. realistic where it is now. But it wasn't realistic and it was getting unsustainable where it was before COVID, right? Yeah. So so I suppose there's this great opportunity now for a bit of a reset yeah. uh, and a rethink, um, assisted by people having their own reflection about what's important and what they want from their work life, what they want from their home life. So we are looking hopefully at a time where uh, we, this new blended model does give us an opportunity to to, to, to reset and, and reframe some of those boundaries you talked about. Um, because the one thing, Will, is everybody's in the same boat. So I think leaders are th thinking about this. You know, uh, yeah. HR community are thinking about this as well as us as individuals. So it's not like it's a corporate thing that's happening because of digital or whatever. It's it's the whole community, the whole work community is thinking through where, where we're going from here. It's an opportunity. And I, I do think it's an opportunity, an opportunity, and I'm glad that you said it for society, because mm. I think the way we're working wasn't working. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned there's, there's certain people listening in here and they're kind of going, you know, mm. our, our lives are very different, you know, in terms of, mm. you know, you're talking about the knowledge sector and working from home. Some people cannot work from home. 
And I think, you know, in terms of that is that when we do make decisions in organizations, it must be some sort of inclusive model and it can't be one size fits all. Um, and I think what one company does and one sector or industry does, it's going to be very different for mm. another. And I think this is where it's we're moving into a place where it's highly custom, it's highly tailored solution for the needs of teams, individuals, yeah. the organization, that sector. You know, so, you know, I really applaud people who, if you're an electrician or if you're, you know, working in a hotel in the hospitality sector, there are going to be different things that needs to be put into place to meet their needs as, as well, you know. So it's, um, I, there's, 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 there's lots of permutations and computations that need to be made. And I think it's, it's about seeking out, well, what's best practice and what has worked and what doesn't work. And I think there needs to be that learning community within the organization but also reaching out to other sectors to say listen what has worked for you so yeah money and i'm actually would you believe kevin i'm actually holding a physical magazine the harvard business review and i think it's really about doing your research there and and this is what a harvard is has collated together in terms of trying to make sure that we're learning from others all the time and experimenting isn't it because that's yeah yeah and i i suppose that 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 whole idea of what's the underlying thing going on here um so one of the things i think we can the traps we can fall into and we've seen this so many times over the years that if we there's a process there's a kind of a model out there that if we follow that model or we follow that yeah. process all will be well you know like performance management you know if we change yeah. if we if we, you know, if we change it, put an extra box in the rating system, it'll be fine now. We, you know, we move yeah. from a five rating to a four rating. Or if we, if we, if we decouple the relationship between pay and performance, oh, that, well, we will be fine, you know. So we sometimes, and, and the, the idea of like somebody else has got the answer uh, piece, there's no doubt that the learning mindset uh, about curiosity amongst, you know, not just not just what the big corporates are doing, but actually what the smaller organizations are doing. I'm working with some very interesting scaling organizations, Will, at the moment. And what, what I'm noticing is that there's a new generation of leader, actually, who've, come, who've, who've been brought up maybe, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years before I have in terms of they, they've always seen, they've always worked in, a, in an environment where people are, are probably more valued maybe than they were, you know, in terms of maybe talent and the war for talent and that. And they're saying, we want to create a, an employee experience that is not what the traditional one is. Yeah. You know, we've, we've experienced that and we don't want it. And now we're in a position of scaling our own company and we want to create something really, really new. And I'm coming across that more and more where people are actually looking to create something new around the employee experience, the, the, you know, the idea of just recreating um, the employment deal. I, I think we're looking at it, I hope, a, a, an increase in a change in the conversation regarding the old employment deal where, you know, you come in and you work and you sign your contract and this is your job description and you deliver to that, et cetera. And we have a little dance every year about terms and conditions and, you know, uh, you're trying to kind of tell me that you're you're really loyal to the company, but actually deep in mind you're kind of going, I'm out of here in six months. You know, this is sort of like a phony yeah. war. Maybe you know you could argue, um, and 
one of the things I think we, we can start to see now is actually a more grown-up, uh, adult-to-adult kind of like situation where actually, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to work with you for while this works for me. And I won't, as long as I'm growing and learning and developing. Um, but actually, I might decide to switch that. I might decide to go and do that as a contractor for you rather than as an employee. I might want to go into gig. I might want to work with you and another organization doing what I really love to do as a gig worker. Um, there's, I think, going to be a shift in, 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 in even the whole contracting side of things because mm. uh, this new blended world of work means that we're going to be able to access skills anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, so rather than this kind of mindset of owning skills, you know, through kind of fixed organization and contracts and then full-time employees, it's not about owning skills or owning people anymore. It's about accessing their talent and their skills, whether they're full-time or whether they're not, whether they're remote or whether they're in the office, et cetera. So that, that changes everything, doesn't it, in terms of the kind yeah. of traditional employment relationship? And, you know, speaking of traditional, and we, we, we spoke about this during the summer, and I mentioned this concept uh, to you, and we both found it fascinating, was this concept, you're talking about accessing skills. I think the future of the workplace is accessing teams. Mm-hmm. And teams to stick together, have those adult-to-adult conversations, have that sense of trust. They have that agility, you know, that neuroplasticity that they can adapt mm-hmm. to, to situations. And what you're, you will be doing in the future, and I know certain organizations do this, uh, or I think Stripe do this, is to hire teams mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. uh, together. Mm-hmm. And I do think there is going to be a place for that where we we'll run a project and we'll get it tried it and test a team that have the skills and they can manage that disruption with them the, themselves because when disruption goes on, you need a really strong cohesive unit to manage that. And I do think there's a certain element that will be working in pods, but then it's having that outward focus of what are, are these superstructures and organizations look like? So I think there's going to be a huge paradigm shift in terms of the way that we see organizations, the way we see teams, and there's going to be a lot of reinventing going on. But for that to happen, we need neuroplasticity, that ability to be agile in the way we see things. And I I think I was, I was talking to you before in the summer about being able to look at things through different lenses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, you know, and this is what the podcast is about, is, is about looking at things through different lenses. So whether it's a leadership point of view or strategy or team organization, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of different ways to look at things. And we need a team around us to fulfill those roles and responsibilities. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you've mentioned a few things. It's interesting the type of features you, you, you've, you the elements of uh Effectiveness, if you like, in the future, you've mentioned, you mentioned outward focus, you've mentioned learning, you mentioned teaming, you've mentioned experimentation. And th- those, those kind of qualities was, were, were something that I, w- I was really interested in. Because what I suppose, when I started to try to get a grip on this subject called the future of work, I soon realized that you were trying to kind of grasp the ocean, right? You were trying to, you're, you're, you're trying to kind of like, you know, control a tide or whatever. It was impossible. It's such a, so many moving parts to it, right? So what I actually took some time out uh, between my last corporate work uh, with uh, Willis Terrence Watson and, um, and what I do now with Work Matters. 
I took some time out because I, I wanted to study, uh, really take some time out independently to just say, well, what, what are the human implications of all of this stuff that's going on, of which COVID is just another example, to be honest. I mean, we had a financial disruption a few years ago. We've, we've got now a health disruption, you know, in terms of pandemic. We've had many disruptions since then in terms of digital. We'll have more disruptions in them. So I was kind of t- coming at it from the point of view that if this speed and pace of change and disruption is going to be a natural ongoing kind of thing, more than it has been probably in the past, or at least coming at us in more frequency than it has in the past. Therefore, like solving for each of those individual items is we're going to be exhausted because we're going to be trying to solve for a moving target, right? It's going to be, oh, we've solved for a financial crisis and then suddenly we've got another one. So what I was curious about well, was the underlying capability we need or the underlying muscle, if you like, we need to build to try to help us uh, adapt and thrive, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what the new technology is, because we don't have a clue what's going to, you know, necessarily going to be the next uh, fusion of technology that is going to impact us. Um, So, and uh, so spending that time uh, looking at the research and what has made us kind of thrive up to now and what some of the early, your point about what some of the early organizations and research is telling us about uh, the forefront of this stuff. um, I, you couldn't help end up coming back to the to the one area of agility as being uh, a core sort of underlying capability, if you like, uh, or underlying competency or skill at organizational level. Um, you know, but, but what I was really curious about was what does agility look like at individual level? Because if we mm. could, perhaps if we could solve for agility in a way, we yeah. are then therefore maybe solving as best we can for whatever might hit us in the future, yeah. right? So, and if we could understand that sort of quality a little bit more, then we'd be more equipped to kind of get on with it and, and get up and thrive and enjoy and embrace the change rather than resist it, if you like. And, uh, and what I was kind of got into then in a big way was this kind of combination of resilience and agility together as a sort of two sides of the same coin as being quite a powerful uh, combination of skill set or mindset uh, both, um, that really was was helpful in helping people navigate their way through this, as you say, future-proof, maybe themselves, you know, in, in the uh, this changing world of work and future of work, whatever we want to call it. So I think you're onto something there because, and, and, and all the attributes you mentioned there, experimentation, outward focus, learning, they, they're all ingredients of that um, agile mindset that uh, I've spent quite a bit of time looking at in recent years. Yeah, and, and I think for our listeners, like I like to share something. So it's a bit like, you know, that overwhelm, you know, you're yeah, you're trying to boil the ocean, you know, and, and solve a solution. And when I started to struggle, um, there's, there's kind of, there was two books that really helped me in the last two years, and I might uh, let the listeners know. And um, one is Emotional Agility by yeah, uh, Dr. Susan David, yeah. you know, really good book. And mm-hmm. I think you know, we got caught in this, into this positive psychology piece, mm-hmm. which is great in one way, but in another way, then it reduces the fact that a negative emotions are real emotions too. And sometimes we need those emotions because mm-hmm. if we avoid those emotions, then, well, you know, we're just delaying the emotional mm-hmm. process yep. there. Yep. And there's another book by Dr. Harry Barry, and he's some wonderful books mm-hmm. um, there. And he's a book on resilience as well. So I just want to call that out mm-hmm. to the... Mm-hmm the listeners there 
and I do think there's a there's a bottom up and a top down approach to the future of the workplace. I think the organizations have to start thinking about, you know, how do we equip our people with resilience and agility and how do we equip them with this, the skills? So this is where learning and development comes in and training and development. And then from an organizational point of view, and this is why I started studying organizational design, was, well, are we set up for success? Mm. The you model know, of work, the new model of work, if you like. Exactly. Yeah. And mm. the, it's really about reinventing that organ, those organizations. Yep. There's a huge amount of theory around that in terms of, you know, um, the different ways of, of working, you know, in terms of self-managed groups and, and all that. So I think this huge uh, scope for potential that will meet everybody's needs. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, but we, I think we definitely need to have in these new structures, you know, we need to have those dynamics in play that, you know, it's a bit like um, I was reading in, in that Harvard uh, magazine there is that they have a, a working handbook. So yeah. when things change, we change the handbook. And I think that's, that's what's really important because HR play such a huge important role in terms of human resources mm. is there is that is sometimes policies and procedures lay dormant for a while or not kept alive. And I think the more that we start keeping things dynamic and alive in the workplace and keep conversations mm. alive, we don't get into this whole toxic nature, which is counterproductive to the success of me as a professional, me as my career, or, or me as part of uh, an organizational system, you know, which will reap rewards for society. So, you know, I think there is a lot in terms of keeping things dynamic, keeping things alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I love the top down, bottom up uh, thing. And I, there is this, as we talked about earlier, I think an opportunity, you know, for that top-down piece to re, to to reimagine, if you like, the kind of new model of work and also our assumptions around some of these things. Um, that whole, like, you're so right about uh, the HR role as well, which I think is a very, it's go, going into a very exciting phase. Um, mm -hmm. I think HR have had to really stand up a bit. Like, sometimes our technology friends don't get enough uh, uh, plaudits, I think, for what they have helped us achieve in the last uh, 12 months as well regarding um, us suddenly being able to pivot to an online remote working um, uh, model. I think the you know, huge credit goes to, to those folks, but also I think the HR community as well have really, really come to the fore in terms of the health, well-being, engagement, communication, uh, you know, keeping that connection, uh, the culture, the management uh, support, all of the hundreds of things that that, that have been important to keep uh, to keep people uh, going and, and engaged, but for the future they play a huge role. I mean, as I often say to to folks that they, the HR community they either control or influence so many of the levers, the organisational levers that we use, yeah. right? And um, and I go through them in in the sort of uh, agility sessions I do with HR. We go through the. The HR processes and we say, look, are you, is this process enabling agility or is it actually blocking it? Yeah. Um, and uh, one of my clients recently came up with a lovely phrase and he, he said that, look, really they're reframing their policy outlook from when it comes to HR from now on, which is rather than making policy for the deviant few, we're making it for the compliant many. 
Yeah. In other words, every policy should be a page max. And we yeah. have to trust people to be compliant and to be, to, to be to, you know, we, we seem to have been trying to manage and cater for those, those sm small minority of cases which will be, which will catch us out or where yeah. somebody will, you know, and I just thought it was a nice distinction between policy of the past versus policy of the future is that yeah. it's going to be more agile, more, more, more adaptive. Um, but so I think there's a ton of stuff we can do at the organizational level. Leaders have a huge role in this uh, in terms of their ability to enable agility uh, and adaptiveness rather than, if you like, command and control sort of uh, their way through. And that's a journey for them too. But the bottom-up piece for me, Will, is really interesting about that individual responsibility and the individual's journey on this, um, that ultimately people themselves have got to take that time to figure out well, wh where am I in this and you know wh how can I adapt in my own space either with this organization or without it you know how am I managing myself how am I navigating myself um so personal agility if you like is what I call it you know that 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 ability to be able to demonstrate that individual resilience and agility so that I thrive and I have a I, I enjoy and take some control out of this and not rely on the organization top down to yeah. to create that for me and I think that's where you talked about you know the the reframing of the policies is is workplaces of the future it's about autonomy mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. I, I I think if we have autonomous people in working in as part of teams or as contractors or we have autonomous teams you know that step in and step out of an organization as required i think there's uh, a position for that and speaking of positions then it kind of reminds me of the position of hr so when the millennium uh, y2k bug was all in its pomp back in 99 here we are 20 years later and when the y2k bug was coming you know between 1997 and 1999 it started really growing in that positional power in organizations and i think this uh, health crisis at the moment has really brought to the fore where actually hr should actually have more positional power and authority within organizations which i don't think they've been given enough respect um over the last uh, number of decades, you know, so I think now is the the time where they're saying, actually, you know what, we do provide a lot of value, and we're going to help navigate out of this along with the other, you know, um, people in the senior leadership team. I think there's going to be more, um, I suppose, that power and authority is going to shift a bit more in their favour uh, rather than before. It kind of it was kind of like diminished. Uh, yeah, sometimes it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating one and I've tracked some of this too the sort of history of HR over the ages if you like is quite interesting if you actually track it back to where it started you know welfare capitalism I think it was called when the likes of for instance Guinness you know coming out of the industrial revolution yeah. and everything else that it more inspired organizations like uh, Guinness started to say no the welfare of our folks is important and you know they the, the famous kind of like building the houses for workers, the healthcare, that was the first evidence, if you like, in, in the industrial age that actually, 
you you need to you have a duty of care to your employees and happier employees therefore you know more engaged and loyal etc so that was the first time that there was a sort of an uh, the, the embryo of if you like of the of the hr uh, kind of community sort of came out and then it evolved over the years and you're right I, I, Maybe the you know certainly in the the second half of the of the of the you know, the 20th century starts to really start to come into its own, but but in a way of of partnering the business, and it's one of those things that kind of annoys me is that is to be partner with the business, and you no, know, actually HR we are the business, right? You you are the business. I mean the, the the people aspects. Why do we make this distinction between the business and HR? Like it, 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 there's it's the two together, and um, and I think. Definitely, you're seeing a much more um, progressive now and strategic piece of that co- coming through. There's no doubt about that. And, and there's definitely a huge opportunity now in shaping the post-COVID model of work and the blended work model where HR absolutely needs to take to, to own the conversation, really, uh, you know, about how that actually happens. And I've said tons of uh, instances in the last nine months where that's exactly been happening. Um, and also leaders stepping in to say, we need to recreate the new model of work. We need to think about empowerment and these things. So it's not just H- not HR, it's actually leaders coming up with this as well themselves. There's more people-based approach. So, so I think it's, it's, it's definitely happening. And, uh, and, you know, it's going to be a very, very exciting time. But w- one of the issues, I guess, for HR generally is the sheer scale of, of its portfolio. Yeah. I mean, with, with all respect to our marketing colleagues, if you had went to marketing director and said, okay, you've got these 20 different sub-functions and activities, everything ranging from compensation to performance to development to recruitment to, and then we want you to, you know, help with the cultural, shape the cultural and the new model of work. I mean, it's too vast almost, you could argue, yeah. in terms of a portfolio of work. So that's, Will, for me, one of the interesting things is how HR actually uh chunks up its work and 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 re yeah. remodels its own model you know yeah. uh, uh for the future because to take on this new yeah. strategic role or not new but you know in, in, in enhanced strategic role there's no doubt about it and that's where i would see as an opportunity for external teams to be part mm-hmm. of that like external mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. partner to the organization you know we've yeah. spoken a lot about this is where you know that if if we become external partners to an organization and a team of external partners where you're you know you can work with a number of organizations and provide that knowledge provide that expertise provide that agility and i think a really important part is that you've walked the walk that you mm. you role model this in terms of your own behaviors then you know and i i think whoever you choose to be your external learning partner really you know needs to show and demonstrate that leadership you know Mm -hmm. and people like us will have a track record which is great Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's about that ability to have those difficult conversations with people to say okay and it's a bit like you know what you were saying there before are we seeing agility here it's being able to trust that team that comes in to say you know um okay we've noticed something going on here share your observations, you know, uh, would this be right for a conversation right now? You know, yeah, so I think yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is down to being, again, going back to those lenses, what's our strategy here? How are we going to execute that strategy? You know, 
you know, for this to execute, then what are the conversations we need to do? How do we ha- how do we include all our stakeholders? And I think that's the missing gap sometimes in when changes are being forced through in organizations. We don't have we don't include enough of the stakeholders uh, to execute the plan. Yeah. What are your, your your thoughts on that? I, I think there's definitely something I see certainly in the partnering piece there. Um, and it's interesting. You do you you've seen it, you know, in other jurisdictions. I know, like for instance, the US when they're st- you know for scaling companies would think nothing of bringing in a, a chief marketing officer, a chief, yeah. chief commercial officer, you know, and maybe their team, as you say, to kind of help to accelerate a piece of change. And then then they transfer the knowledge and move on and 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 go away. Right. So it's not just about outsourcing the the more traditional, the transactional aspects of, of, of the function, for instance, take HR there, for example, where you, you, know, you outsource payroll or whatever yeah. it might be, is actually no, we're, we, we partner in more imaginative ways with, with different folks. And, yeah. and, and, and in that, I, I'm finding that, that people kind of value a little bit of that authentic piece as well, well that you know, the sense that people helping them with who's got, who've got a few of the scars of battle themselves, yeah. um, and like, it's not necessarily people coming in and saying, oh, I've got all the answers, you know, because some of this stuff is experimental. Some of it is going to be about, it's more of a coaching kind of almost relationship almost it is, yeah. than, it, than it is a technical knowledge piece, you know, because you do, you, be, you do become aware of those who come in and saying, oh, follow this, follow this kind of complete roadmap or adopt this kind of perfect process and all will be well. I, I'm kind of nervous of that type of approach where, Actually, no. We've we've. It's a controlled experiment. We've to try to help people through, um, and informed by experience and and also failure as well. Yeah. Um, and I hold up my hat, hand and say, well, where have I come from as a leader over the years, and where yeah. have I come, even in terms of my HR thinking as well, and that it's 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 different than it was before, and 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 I think uh, that's the exciting part. I think is we're we're co-creating stuff with 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 yeah. people. Uh, rather than necessarily coming in with all the answers. And I do think if if you have a long-term authentic partner or, you know, a team of partners, you know, and you bring that skill set, so you'll have maybe one person focus on the strategy piece, but, you know, in terms of execution, that's where you might have some people dealing with, well, how do we deal with the internal conflict, whether mm-hmm. that's teaching people how to negotiate between resources or, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, shared partners or whatever it might be. And it's also how do you overcome those conflicts then? So really what you're doing is is instead of sometimes change programs, you know, um, separates people is actually you're bringing people closer uh mm. together and we're all you're creating that culture of, of learning and that mm-hmm. you know we'll go back to it that future of work is all about agility isn't it mm-hmm. and resilience. And then just, exactly and then just be able to draw on some expertise in those areas like you know we've got colleagues who are really really good at the at the whole piece around resilience um i've been around the agility now block a, a few times so it's been able to de- do the deep dive when necessary then as well yeah. So, um, no, the agility piece is definitely something I think has got uh, a little piece of, of road to run around what does it actually mean? That's what I find it very interesting when you actually go into a team. How do you define it and what does it mean to you individually? It's a bit like one of those things like culture, leadership, yeah. engagement. It's a kind of a tricky subject and you do need to spend time unraveling it a little bit with, with folks. Um, 
But back to you, said I think one of the things I would really like to see uh, going in terms of um, next steps would be how do we enable individuals to plot their own course rather than pretending that we can give all the answers top down? How can yeah. we? You, you right at the start of this, you talked about empowerment and enablement and trust. You know, people being given the tools to be able to find their own way through this for me is really, really an interesting area. Yeah, so I think we're looking at looking at a new model of work, aren't we? We're looking at a new model of work. We're looking at a reframe of the leadership approach to this, the HR approach. Um, I also think we're we're looking at maybe a, an opportunity to help people reframe their own futures yeah. as well. Uh, you know, future proof their own skill set, future proof their own careers. And it is about equipping people with the tools. Uh, and the skills to do that so you know if you were building constructing a building for example but like an organization you have to give people the resources you know um and the access to those tools for you know that building to be uh completed you know yeah. so that brings us i suppose we're coming to the end of the podcast right now and Kevin, I really enjoyed that. I must say it was, uh, it was a really interesting uh, discussion. And what I want to do is offer the listeners then some kind of key takeaways from uh, this, this podcast. What, what might they be for yourself, Kevin? I think, uh, I think there's a sense of, you mentioned the word being overwhelmed by some of this. So whether it's creating a new model of work or whether it's how do I cope with this myself is, 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 is trying to break that down a little bit and saying, actually, no, we're all in the same sort of territory here and how we can sort of break, break this down into manageable chunks. Um, and I've certainly found uh, myself in, term to, in terms of making sense of future of work and making sense of what that means for me as an individual and even for HR and uh, for leaders. I have found that agility uh, concept helpful as something just as a... It's now something I can now get my hands on, you know, as an enabling capability. And some of the other stuff will take care of itself, if you like. If I could, if I could, if I could improve that, or if I could understand that a bit more, or if I could exercise that muscle a little bit more and under, get under it and, and and see what it means for me and for those around me, that's that's a practical, tangible thing I can do. Uh, that's going to help me not just be resilient uh, for whatever changes come up. Um, but also to enable me to take advantage of the opportunities that are undoubtedly going to unfold, whether that's at organizational level or HR level or leader level or, or indeed at individual level. So I suppose for me, that's one of the sort of certainly lessons I've learned in this process, because I sort of threw myself into the future of work territory without, you know, having a formula as to what exactly, you know, the, the answer was or what, what the territory was. But I've certainly found that topic of, of, of practical help. Um, and I think the other thing I would say then too is, is around new model of work. Use this as an opportunity to really maybe test some of the assumptions we have around work and, and actually re, reshape it, not just for organization effectiveness so that we can avail of a wider talent pool uh, you know, and, and access to skills and teams, like you say, but also create a really strong employee experience. Because one of the things, Will, I think is it's, it's not even a matter of choice because if we don't come up with a really good creative way of managing this blended world of work, the competitors will be doing that. And it's going to be, there's going to be a new battleground now uh, in terms of talent acquisition, isn't there? Because what kind of, oh, I, we provide a more 
engaging blended work model than you. So why don't you why don't you join us? So it's going to become another battleground, but but it's an exciting one, and yeah. and I think it's something we can we can embrace not just for those at work well in organisations, but also a bit of rethink around work in general uh, that we start to make uh, make work more accessible and think about our education and you know social policies around work that uh, that a lot of those things as well could be really up for grabs as to how we reimagine the world of work in the next phase. Hopefully, COVID has been the the uh, what do they call it? The sort of trigger for us uh, to the circuit breaker for 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 that to use the current term uh, for for not just people in work but uh, your work in general. I really hope so. It's it's going to be a, a good a good phase. I hope. Yeah. So that so that that good phase there and it's that disruption piece. You know, in terms of that great reset as we talked about uh, before. So Kevin, I nearly forgot to mention your. Award. So you were voted the most influential leadership development consultant 2020 uh, in Ireland by Corporate Vision magazine. And, you know, if people were to if people were to contact this award winning person, how might they do so? <laughs> well, I'll reach out. I'm not too hard to find, uh, you know, LinkedIn or Email address kevin.mp at workmatters.ie. Uh, we're on the website as well, workmatters.ie. So no problem. Happy to engage anytime. Thanks, Will. Um, well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the Workplace Podcast today. Uh, I found that a fascinating conversation and I'm sure our listeners uh, will do so too. Take care, Will. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Kevin. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organization.